This morning, I'm reading from Exodus 19 and 20. And in fact, I'm actually reading both of those entire chapters before we're finished. And uh, I'm calling the message simply the Sinai invitation or the invitation at Sinai. And um, you'll see what I what I'm talking about by the time we get there. So in Exodus chapter 19, we have Israel coming to Mount Sinai. So it says, Exodus 19, verse 1, In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, in the same, and on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. So that we're three months out. So we're three months out of Egypt right now. And so this is important because I'm, I want you to think of everything that has happened in the past three months. We have hit the high points but there's been boring days of being intense and we've been around manna long enough that it also has um, come, become a daily routine. It is not the excitement that it might've been the first or second day. It, that, manna itself has become, um, I don't wanna call it boring, but like it's become ordinary. Um, and it's, it's three months is, a, is actually quite a long time um, if you're living in tents. Just try camping for a week and you'll understand, like if you're having, and then try it where you have to move every couple of days to a new campsite. And so this is what they're doing. They're packing up, they're unpacking, they're packing up, they're unpacking. It's been long enough that some of the people are thinking we should have left this in Egypt um, and might have left some things in the wilderness. I don't know if you, if you remember the Oregon Trail and all the stuff that was left along the way. It, so three months is long enough for someone to be tired of carrying the old fair, family heirloom that's made of solid wood and weighs 300 pounds. I, I don't know that anyone actually brought anything like that from Egypt, but I'm just saying we're, we're three months in and we know that we still have 40 years to go, but they're three months in. And as they're into this thing for three months, they now come to Mount Sinai uh, in the wilderness of, they come to the wilderness of Sinai. And it says in verse two, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. In verse three, Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine. So we have several things happening. God is speaking specifically to Moses and he's saying, if you go and tell the people, tell the people this, um, if you will, if you will do this, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you will be a special treasure for me above all people. And then he says, for all the earth is mine. So this is something of the echo that is in the covenant with Noah, where he says, I am basically choosing you and I'm blessing you. And through your family, I'm going to bless the nations. I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. And so this is again, that reminder when God is saying, I'm actually, uh, the whole earth is mine and all the people of the earth are my creation, and I'm going to use you as my special people. If you'll keep my covenant, if you will walk with me and indeed obey me, then I will use you to bless the, all the peoples of the earth. And so in verse six, he says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. 
Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Okay, so there's this, this exchange is happening. We have Moses going up, speaking to the Lord. the Lord. The Lord says, go tell the people. The people. He comes back down, he talks to the people. They say, we'll do what you say. Now, if you think about it, this is right after Jethro was there. So they actually have a better system to all report back to Moses. So Moses can talk to his elders. The elders spread it to their men and it goes out through all the camp. And in a very short amount of time, the entire camp knows that the Lord is, this is the, the word from the Lord. And so then it can, they can be discussing this whole thing. So whether or not Moses preached to the entire crowd or whether he spoke to the elders and it went out, the word comes back to Moses and says, yes, we're, we're willing to do this. And so he says, we're willing to do this. So, and then in verse nine, the Lord, Lord said to Moses, behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And so this is the Lord telling Moses, I actually want to speak directly to the people in the same way that you have heard my voice. I want them to hear my voice. I'm going to come down in the sight of all the people in the cloud is going to come down on Sinai. And, and I want you to go get the people ready. So they're becoming what later becomes known as the, the ceremonial cleaning is what they're having to do. They're, they're going through the process to be ready on the third day. And then in verse 12, it says, you shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So this is, this is a serious thing. There's to be a, there's, so they're setting up a boundary around the mountain saying, this is how close you can come. Don't come any closer. Don't touch the mountain. Anything that touches the mountain is going to have to die. And so you're basically setting up a guard and it sounds like they have uh, archers in place so that they can take out anything that crosses the boundary. And so everyone's supposed to not come too close, but when the trumpet sounds, come close, come up to the boundary, come this far, but they don't come any farther. So these are the instructions. Moses, in verse 14, Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people. They washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. And then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. So we have Moses bringing all the people out. The mountain is shaking and quaking. There's smoke coming out of the top of the mountain and all the people are coming out of their tents and they're afraid of this, naturally. And as they're coming out, the trumpet sounds. And this is the sign that they're supposed to come up. Then the Lord speaks to Moses and calls him up into the mountain. And so 
in verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to gaze at the Lord and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you warned us saying, set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the, to the people and spoke to them. Uh, when we get to chapter 20, it's going to be the Lord actually speaking. But we have this moment here that I found very, very fascinating. The Lord sets it up, says, bring the people over, set a boundary. They set a boundary. The people come up. He blows the trumpet loud and long. And then he calls Moses up and he says, Moses, um, you need to go down there and tell those people not to come close to the mountain because they're going to want to break through and gaze upon the Lord. So now stop for a moment and think about this. If you're not an Egyptian, but you're an American Christian and you've heard about Jesus your whole life, you've prayed to Jesus, you've read the word of God, you've been working in your faith. And, and what is it that we sometimes say? We say, I just want to hear from God. Or we'll say something like, I just need to feel his presence near me. And sometimes we even go farther and we say, if I could just see him face to face. Job actually had this thing where he's like, if I could just see the Lord face to face, if he'd just come into the room, sit down at the table with me and talk to me, we could work this out. And so there is, in, a, in general, within the people of God, there is a desire for us to come to him, to gaze upon his face, to know him, to walk with him in a very close sort of way. And now here is God, the creator, and he's coming down upon the mountain and he's going to let his voice be heard by all the people of Israel. And they have just gone through all of the plagues over in Egypt. They've gone, they've got, came through the Red Sea. They, they're getting manna. They've got water from the rock. They have all of this happening. And now they have an opportunity to hear the voice of the Lord. And their first response is, yes, we will do what the Lord has said. We're willing to do this. So they go through the cleansing process, they wash their clothes, and then, Moses, then, then they all get together and they're waiting to hear from the Lord. And the Lord says, Moses, come up here. And then he says, Moses, you've got to go down there and tell them to stay away from the mountain. And Moses is like, there's no problem. They're going to stay away from the mountain. We set up a boundary. And he's like, no, but you've got to make sure and make sure that the priests are actually in a good place and make sure the priests have consecrated themselves. Now, don't let them break through. And Moses is my, as I read it this time, there, there was this moment where I'm thinking, it's as if Moses is going, believe me, they don't want to come close. Like these people are scared down there. They've been scared ever since this morning when lightning hit the mountain for the first time. They're scared. They almost didn't want to leave the camp with me and they're coming out here. And the Lord's like, but you've got to go tell them not to come close. And so there's this this odd moment here where it's as if the Lord is expecting all the people to come pressing in and want to see the face of Jesus, the creator, to see their face. But they're actually scared in that actual presence of God. They're scared. And so if it wasn't for the bad theology that it created, I, I wanted to think about the fact that like, it was almost as if God fully expected all these people to come rushing in and Moses is like, oh, you don't know these people. 
And, and we know that God actually does know his people and knows their hearts and knows what's going on and understands whether our heart is toward him or away from him, whether our will is our hearts and will, is, whether we are pliable, whether we're listening or whether we're hardening our heart toward him. He knows all of this. But there's this moment here, and I think God in, intentionally puts it here for, for us to think about this very thing. Here is a whole people who have seen the hand of God. Now they're getting to hear the voice of God and they're within a short hike of seeing the face of God. It's basically what it's coming down to. And God says, make sure they don't come up here because my, the holiness, my holiness is going to be too much for them. And so their human representative is going, I came up here because I'm used to coming up here, but these people, there's nothing. We set up a boundary. We have this in place. And so I'm not sure what to take away from this moment because there is, we could talk about the holiness of God and how we might not fully understand the holiness of God. We could talk about how there is an invitation to actually come into his presence, but what is our response to that presence, that invitation? So there's a lot of different ways we can look at this. Um, the, The theologically difficult one was to say, well, God had no idea that his people didn't love him that much. Like that's the theologically hard one, right? Because God actually does know what his people are thinking and doing and saying. But even in the face of that, I think of Jesus loving Judas and of Jesus loving his disciples and of Jesus intentionally reaching out and loving people. This is the the message of the Bible is that God loves his people. He created us for a purpose and he loves his people. And as he says in the prophets, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to you. And so what this is, is God stretching out his hands to his people saying, I'm right here. You're going to hear my voice, but I don't want to actually harm you because your hearts are unclean and you would be killed if you cross that boundary. So do not cross the boundary stay outside. And Moses is like, don't worry. They don't want to come. They're fine down there. And so then we go on with what, G, what the Lord actually spoke. What, the, what did God speak from Mount Sinai? It, we, we call it the Ten Commandments. So let's read from Exodus 20, and we'll get to the rest of the story here. So here is what God spoke. Once the, everything was settled and Moses had gone back and forth enough, and now Moses and Aaron are up with the Lord, and the Lord is speaking to, to the children of Israel. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the earth, 
upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. All right, if you look back in the rest of Exodus and over in Deuteronomy and other places, you'll see that when God speaks to Moses about these laws, he goes into a lot of detail. But today, he is covering a lot of ground quickly, and he's speaking what we would say like bullet points, and he's giving, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and he expands a little bit on some of these, but the people are literally listening and hearing this. And it says in verse 18, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, the sound of the trump, and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And so not only did they not press into the actual boundary close to the mountain, they removed themselves and stood afar off. And as they're asking to Moses, they're like, look, look, you, go, you just go talk. We don't want to do this. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. This is verse 20. For God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thickness, the thick darkness where God was. And so then the Lord speaks to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, you've seen that I have talked with you from heaven. So so Moses to tell the children of Israel, you saw it, I talked to you from heaven. And then he says this, you shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves, an altar of earth you shall make for me and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. So we have instruction, how the people are to approach God, how they're supposed to build altars. And what is fascinating to me is in this, like from our perspective, from here, looking all the way back there, we desire to hear the voice of God. We want to know what God would have us to do. We, ha- we read the part where Jesus speaks to his disciples as, from here on out, I'm not calling you my servants or my slaves. I'm calling you my friend because a friend knows. I can tell you my secrets because you're my friends. You're not just my servant. I'm not just giving you commands, but I want you you to understand my heart to know what I think and feel and how I see things, the perspective I have on life. And so we have this desire. We want to actually know God in this way. And I think this is a good thing, but I see this invitation that's happening here at Sinai that is something that is, is also a, there's a lesson in this for us is these people, they have been prepared. They have walked through a lot of things. They've disobeyed, they've obeyed, they've mumbled and complained, they've seen the hand of God, they've seen the provision of God, they drank from the water that came from the rock, they have seen all of this, and they hear the, in, the invitation, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. And so they're like, yes, yeah, we're willing to do that. We're willing to be your people. We will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so these are terms and words that have now entered into our relationship with God. Our Christianity has inherited many of these terms and words so that we, you know, we, we, we talk about the priesthood of the believer and we, you know, we say we don't have to go somewhere to a building. We don't have to go somewhere to another guru or a priest to actually access God. Any one of us can pray from wherever we are and we expect to be heard by the high king of heaven, the creator of the, of the heavens and the earth. We expect that when we pray, he will hear us. 
Because why? Because we are a part of a kingdom of priests and we are a part of a holy nation. And we read how Paul and the other apostles, they expounded more on that and said, we are a special people. That was, I think, Peter's words. We're a special people. And we've been created and we've been called and we've been chosen and we've been set apart all for the glory of God, all to be used by God, all for his purposes and for his direction, what he wants to do. And then we go about our life and this is where it gets challenging. You will hear a believer over here say something and you'll hear a believer over there talking about something and pretty soon you're like, oh, this must be the agenda. This is what we're doing here. This is what we're talking about. And so you start talking, uh, whether it's politics, whether it's end times, whether it's the best ways to actually uh, practice evangelism, how do you win people to Christ? You have all of these things that, that are talked about in the church and every one of them fits somewhere within the sphere of, of our worldview and of our Christianity. And we're thinking, you know what? Uh, so politics is a good example for this. We can look at it, politics and say, oh, we really need the blessing of God. And so, you know, I've done this. I, I have in my house, I have like the, um, I took a picture of a flag years ago. And so it was such, it was one of the first times I had, I did it with my film camera and I zoomed in. It was one of the first times I had all of that, that I could do it. And so I like zoomed in on this flag. It was a huge flag um, on I-10 over by, um, might've been where the first Bucky's now is, was down in Texas. Like it was down there on I-10 somewhere and they, they had a huge flag out and I took this picture of it and I loved the picture so much. I thought, well, I should do something with it. And so there was that verse where it says, um, Blessed is the nation who fears the Lord, or whose God is the Lord. And so, uh, and so I had like, I, I superimposed that verse on it with a predecessor of Photoshop of the t at the time, and I got it printed up, and I actually made a pretty big uh, print of this thing. And so it was so cool. So I had it just hanging in my studio for the longest time. Uh, and so it was, it was a good reminder for me. But so what will happen is, we have these experiences. We are each of us, whether we're born in America or wherever we're coming from, we have a people, a place, like even in America, like there are some states that I actually care a lot more about than others. Like whenever Montana is in the news, I always hope it's good because I have an affinity because I live there. And so I want Montana to be good and I want it to be successful. I've lived in Texas. I've lived in Tennessee. I was born in Arkansas, but for some reason I don't identify with it that much. I don't know what happened there. I don't remember it, I guess. Um, and so you, you have like different states, but like if, you, if, if something like, if California is in the news or Massachusetts or any of those states, I don't really care. Like if they make fools of themselves over there, it's not the same level of caring. Now within the context of the United States, well, I do identify as a, as a United States citizen. And so I, I do like it when news from the states is good and I want us to be blessed and all of that, but there are certain states that I have more with than others. But then there's other countries, like um, there are some of the countries uh, like north and south of Ukraine that I only know exist because I looked at the map a few times in my life and I know that there is land mass and there's countries there. But if you ask me questions, I am so uneducated for that area. Like I've tried hard to understand what happens in India. I've tried to understand what goes on with Africa, how many countries are there. I still don't know. Like some people, um, there's this map going around where people try to draw the United States, you know, people not from the United States are trying to draw all the states and figure out where all they all are. And I'm like, that's not even fair. They're trying to fill in states. I don't even know countries. 
there's the, the Stans, you know, the Uzbekistan and all the, those countries. I don't know where all of those are. Like I look at the map, I study it, and like now I love it because on Google you can just zoom out on Google Maps, spin the globe around, go in on any part of the country, and you can learn. You can use Street View to go down and see what it looks like. You can see how well developed it is. You can learn so much. But I still don't know a lot of these places. And so whenever, like if, if I hardly ever watch anything like Olympics, but if I do, I'll see all those little flags up there. And like I know the American flag, and I know the Swiss flag, and I know the British flag, and then like, it starts going down from there of the flags that I actually recognize from other countries. And I'm saying this to my shame, but also just as a, as a point of reference that there are some things that we all care about. So like your birthplace and your people, even if you're transplanted and go somewhere else, if you hear about this, them in the news, you hear about, you care. You want them to do well. If they are being ruled in an ungodly and wicked way and the people are oppressed, you are praying for freedom and for relief from oppression in your home country. And so this is true. Like, you know, ever since we've spent time in Peru a few times, suddenly Peru has, has risen to the top. I understand, I, I, I know where Peru is on the map. I actually know a lot more about Peru than I know about uh, any of the other South American countries because I've been in Peru. And so I can, I say, oh yeah, the, there's this mountain range here and there's a mountain range here and there's desert here. And there's like, I, can, I understand it a lot better than I do any of the other countries down there. And so I actually care. I have friends there. So on one level, I have friends within the church all around the world, and I care because it's the church, it's the people of Jesus. And so I care about that kingdom. But on another level, I understand that each of us has a certain relationship with an earthly kingdom that we care about that country. And so what can happen is, as we read through the word of God, and we find those verses where it says, you know, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and we, we read all of these things, we can start saying, I really want my country to do well. I really want my nation to do well. So how can I look at these and reverse engineer them and apply them and somehow be involved with the politics of my nation and make it so that God will bless my country? And so I can spend all of my time I mean, I can read Nehemiah about rebuilding the wall. I can read through Old Testament, the Proverbs. I can read all of this, and I can try to walk in the spirit and the power uh, and, and, and want to have the good fruit in my life so that I can actually run for office and they can't find anything about me, and I'm gonna go, and I'm going to you know, represent my people, but I'm representing Christ. I'm bringing the kingdom into the halls of government, and I can, I can be so busy doing that that if someone comes to me and says, hey, God is actually on Mount Sinai right now, right outside your house, and he's inviting you to come to him, and as they start talking about who God is, and you start approaching closer to this God, and the mountain is shaking and quaking, and the holiness of God becomes real, and you realize that he wants to speak to you, you can literally say, I am so busy applying God's word to my life in my political career that I don't know if I have time for that. And this is, my, this is my concern for us as Americans. And I'm not saying it's politics. It could be a lot of different things. Because here's what happens. The Lord comes and he speaks to the people. They say, oh yeah, 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 that's good. We, we wanna hear from God. So what does he do? He comes and he speaks directly to their heart. Like he gives them the 10 commandments, what we call the 10 commandments, and he gives them that list and says, here, 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 and here. 
But not only is it very difficult to bear the burden of the commands that he's giving on them, it's very difficult to bear his presence and his holiness. And so they at some point say, you know what? It would just be better for us instead of trying to hear the voice of God for ourselves. Why don't we go over there and we will send one representative off to hear the voice of God and he will come back and he will speak to us what God has said. And so that's what they end up doing. And so in a very real sense, from then until now, that's what we do. Even in our churches in America, we are like busy and we're like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I, I am part of a um, whatever Bible study or group or whatever and we talk some about the Bible and then I'm doing these things in my career and I'm doing this and then, um, well, yes, we actually, we, we have a pastor who is dedicated to studying the word of God and bringing it back to us so that we know what we should do. And so we will literally assign to someone else the responsibility of going and hearing the heart of God for our time and then bringing it back to us. But why is it? Because part of me wants to say, sure, it was scary having God touch down on the mountain and having the mountain smoking and lightnings hitting and all of the thunderings and lightnings. Sure, that was scary. But there's something more here. Because we go as humans, we do, sometimes we do scary things for pleasure. We're, we're we're, we are that way. We'll do things that test us. We do things that thrill us just for pleasure. And so it's not entirely that God was scary or that he was holy. And it's not entirely that we were afraid to die because we do a lot of things that could kill us, but we do them anyway. And so it, that's not the, the fullness of it. But here is God personally saying, I'm going to talk to you, O Israelites, and I'm going to tell you how you ought to live. And if you will indeed obey me, I will make of you a nation of kings and priests and you will be the way, the, the medium and the, 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 the vessel that I will use to bless all the peoples of the earth. And they're like, okay, we're willing for that. But then as they get closer and they start actually hearing the voice of God and they actually hear the commands, the next thing you know, they're standing far off going, um, Moses, you go, you talk, you come back and you report. That's how we'll deal with this. And so I am not sure if it was the actual presence of God that scared them away. Now, it is true that when you come into the presence of God, that there is a certain burning away of all the things that you thought were important, all the things that you thought were first. Because see, if I'm a politician and I think I'm applying the word of God to my career and to my politics and to the state and everything that I'm in, and I'm so busy doing this and suddenly God comes in the room, what I understand suddenly is God is asking me for one allegiance and one allegiance only, and that is to him. And in his economy, whether my state house wins or loses, whether my career is good or bad, it doesn't actually matter because what he's doing matters. And so he has an agenda that is for all of us and for me specifically, because I'm coming into his presence and he doesn't actually care what my agenda was, what my platform was. He wants me to make sure that I'm walking where he has sent me to walk and I'm talking the way he is teaching me to talk and I'm hearing him and I'm doing what he has asked me to do. And so he is going to invade on my life and become very cumbersome because I'm going to be like, well, Lord, just for one moment, I need to go make this speech. Can I go do this speech and then I'll be back? And he's like, I, and, and so God sends us on a mission. And so there are people that you and I know that have 100% submitted, surrendered, and they're just walking with the king. And as they're walking with the king, 
they do all kinds of things. Some of them are doing politics. Some of them are involved in all kinds of ministries. Some of them are pastors at churches. Some of them are um, involved, you know, just all kinds of things. But they are listening to the voice of the king. And so what you won't find in them is the double talk that you will find in so many of us in our career. We'll be like, well, I'm planning on doing this. And next time I meet you, I'm like, well, how did that go? Oh, actually, we didn't do that at all. We ended up doing this completely other thing. And partly because either you listen to the Lord and said, ah, this is what he wants me to do. So you start doing it. And then life comes in the way and other demands. Oh, well, I should also do this. And so you get rearranged constantly. Or you're like on your way doing life and like Jonah, you get swallowed by a whale and you're like, okay, Lord, what do you want? Okay, okay. And you turn and you do the other thing. And so there is a, there's an interruption that happens. And so I, there's a lot of things for us to learn out of Exodus 19 and 20. I'm picking this one specific thing and it's the invitation where God is saying to mankind, if you will indeed obey me, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And now we know that our covenant with God is in Christ Jesus. Jesus was the cutting of the covenant for us. We are in that covenant with God. We indeed are his people, but I think this invitation still stands. But as we come to him, we find that he has an all-encompassing agenda. He has something for us to do. And it supersedes all of our ideas, all of our thoughts, all of our earthly memberships and citizenships, and it becomes him first. Now, once we do walk with him and we're submitted to him, we understand that he is not saying, I just want to pull you right out of the wilderness. He has a purpose for us. These children of Israel are supposed to learn how to walk with him, how to talk with him, how to live for him, because there's coming a day when they're entering the promised land, and when they enter the promised land, he has work for them to do there. And so this is to be a preparation time to enter the land. So he wants them to stop thinking the way they had learned how to think in Egypt, because he saved them out of Egypt. And he wants them to start thinking the way they're going to have to think when they're in the promised land. And so the rejection that he is experiencing from his people is not an all-out rejection, but they're literally saying that's too much for us. We can't handle it. We're going to stand over here. Just send us a representative. And what he's asking for us today through Jesus Christ, through his spirit inside each of us, is that every one of us draws close to him, comes into the holy place, and is listening to his words, is listening to his covenant, is listening to his promises, is listening to his commands, and that we're each saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I will follow you, I will obey you, I will walk with you. And that we literally say, as the children of Israel did, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They said it, but then other things happened. All right, now there's a scripture I wanted to just bump over really quickly and look at. And I forget the reference, so I had to make a note here. Over in Hebrews 12. Where the mountain in the, in the, in the wilderness is mentioned. So in Hebrews chapter 12, we have... Uh, starting in verse 18. Okay, so this has confused me for years. We just read about the mountain in Sinai that is so holy that if anyone touches it, they're going to die. They have to be shot through with a, a, an arrow or stoned or something. And then Hebrews 12, 18, it says, you have not come to the mountain that may be touched 
and that burn with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest. And I've often thought, well, that's, no, like, no, you may not touch this mountain. That was the whole point. That they came to the mountain in the wilderness and they were not allowed to touch it. And then he just says, but you have not come to the mountain that may be touched. And so it, it takes me a while, every time I read over it, to be like, okay, so he's talking, he's saying, you have not come to this physical mountain in Mount, in, in, by Mount Sinai. You have not come to the physical mountain of God. You have come, uh, so he, he goes on to describe it, the, the, the mountain that burned with fire to blackness and darkness and tempest, verse 19, the sound of a trumpet, the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Verse 20, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. 21, and so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So he's making a comparison. He's saying, now there was a mountain in Sinai in the wilderness that was a physical mountain that you could go to, and it was there that that was terrifying. But you didn't come to this mountain. You've come to another mountain. You've come to the spiritual mountain, to the actual, to the actual church of Jesus Christ, to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable company of angels, the general assembly and church of the firstborn, talking about all of us, all of those who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We are human people. If we are put in a camp in the wilderness and there's a mountain and lightning starts hitting the mountain, you've got our attention. We are going to look at this mountain. If it starts smoking, we're looking at the mountain. And then our leader says, come, let's go closer to the mountain, but not too close or you will die. So we're kind of concerned about the mountain, naturally. Like, is this a volcano? Is it going to blow? Is this Vesuvius 2.0? Like, what's going to happen here? And so we're being invited in to come closer to this physical mountain that's obviously not safe. So it makes a little bit of sense to say, okay, we're going to stand way over here. You go talk with God. But what was in the mountain was God himself, the creator. And it was an invitation to know him, to hear his voice. Because think about it. If all of these people that were in the wilderness, if all of them had done what Joshua ended up doing, and I don't have the reference right now, but there was a time when the Lord had come down and, and they would go out and the, the, the tabernacle was set up and, and the 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 cloud, the pillar was over the tabernacle and Moses and the priests and the other, the, some of the leaders would go before the Lord and they'd hear from the Lord and then they would come back to the camp. But it says that the young man Joshua stayed in the presence of the Lord. He had understood something about who God was. So I'm imagining that if there's anyone in danger of breaking through and touching the mountain today, it might be Joshua. He's standing there going, I want to know the Lord. I want to walk with the Lord. I want to hear his voice. And so he might be in danger of pushing through, but at the same time, he believes the Lord, so he's standing where he's supposed to stand. He's not going to go rebelliously in there. So he's listening, and later we see what God does through the life of Joshua. God speaks, and he's looking for not just 
one Joshua, but he's looking for a kingdom of people who will go into the promised land, who will stand in the morning and look out across the land and say, Lord, what do you want us to do today? And then to go do that. They end up there basically having to say, Joshua, what does the Lord want us to do today? And so there was an opportunity for them to actually go into all the nations and, 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 and to make a difference. And this is, the, this is the picture that is applied to us. On Calvary, on, or as, the, as um, the Hebrew says here, on Mount Zion, as we come to this mountain, there's an opportunity for us to come to Jesus, to have the covenant cut with God the Father through Jesus Christ, and we are made close to him. We can hear his heart. We can hear his voice. We can know who he is. His spirit can live within us, and we can actually walk with him. And this is not a physical mountain that we can go and touch. It's a spiritual mountain. And so the invitation is not going to be announced quite the same way. You're not going to hear the thunder and the lightning hit the mountain and then the long trumpet. It's a spiritual voice. It's a spiritual invitation that comes to us through the reading of the word, through the preaching of the word, through the sharing of other people. And at some point in our life, there is a desire that awakens in the human heart that says, I want to know my creator and I want to know why he made me and I want to know what he wants me to do. And as we draw closer to him, we discover that he actually wants to know us and he wants to walk with us. And so we have the words, from James and from Peter about drawing close to the Lord, drawing near to God, and he will draw near to you is the promise that James gives us. And so we have this, this beautiful promise and an invitation. But as we draw close to him, we find out there is no room for my selfish ambitions. There is no room for my own kingdom. There is no room for my own platform. There is no room for my own thoughts or my allegiances to other things. I cannot have the the gods of gold or silver. That's what God said at the end of chapter 20 there. Tell them to not have any gods of gold and silver alongside me. I am their God. And so suddenly we find we can't have any other gods. We can't have any other allegiances. We are first his. We're 100% his. And that's what he's asking of us. And as he asks us for that to 100% belong to him, that's where I feel like many, many times we draw back and we stand afar off and we consider for a while. And then we look around and we see someone else who seems a little more holy than us. And we say, why don't you go and you talk to God? Because I know him and I want to serve him, but when I draw near to him, he asks things of me that I don't want to do. He asks things of me that are too heavy for me. Not understanding that when the Lord asks us of something, asks us to do something, it may sound heavy. It may be burdensome to think about. It might be impossible for us to do by ourselves, but he lives within us and he equips us and his Holy Spirit flows through us and he enables us to do things that we couldn't do in any other way. And, and so the invitation that's at Sinai, the invitation that's for us through Mount Zion, the city of the living God, this invitation is one to come and hear his voice, to walk with him, and to not allow our anything else that we have to stand between us and that. And so what happens? Well, in the, in the New Testament, in Acts, we start seeing what happens. People are going places, speaking. God is using them. God taps Philip and takes him somewhere. God taps Peter and says, look at this, consider this. And then the, someone knocks on the door and Peter says, okay, I'm going to the Gentiles because what God just showed me. And we start seeing an entire group of people working to share Christ. And there is no central authority that's telling everyone where to go. Uh, we've already covered that side of things. Uh, Paul, you shouldn't go up there because someone else is already, you know, someone, no, there's none of that. 
People are listening to the Lord and they're responding. And what do they do? They end up taking the gospel around the globe and that has continued so that even today, um, starting sometime on what would have been our Friday, um, from Friday until sometime tomorrow, there's going to be a constant stream of people gathering over the weekend to have a service of glory and you know, praise and worship to Jesus Christ to read the word of God. And then if you look at all the midweek prayer gatherings and the different times that people are gathering, there is basically 24-7 worship flowing to our creator from his church and from his people. And 24-7, the spirit of God is interacting with people and people are saying, Lord, what do you want of me? What do you want me to do? And 24-7, the church of the living God, this, this what is spoken of here in Hebrews, this Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable company of angels. And then what are, they, what are the angels looking at and observing? The general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of, blood of sprinkling. And so we have this thing happening constantly. There are people interacting with Christ constantly. The angels are at work. The church of the firstborn is busy. The church of the firstborn is worshiping Christ. The church of the firstborn is doing what the father has asked them to do. And we have, we have answered and responded to the call that was given there at Mount Sinai. If you will listen to me. And what we've discovered is that there will be times when people will attempt to set up within the kingdom of heaven and say, this is the only way and the only right way to do it. And what will happen is the spirit of God withdraws from that organization and that place. And eventually it becomes a hardened problem and people are escaping from it. And what we want is not a man-made structure that says, this is the only way we want people being invited to walk with Christ and to be his. And as they do that, um, there was a conversation online this week about how if you love your grandchildren and you've loved Jesus, you need to pray that they're not part of the same church you are now. Because historically speaking, it only takes a couple generations for that church to become kind of dead and hard and not there. And so it's, it's a, it's, that's, a, that's putting it in an extreme way. We do know that like um, when you have a group of people like Calvary Chapel, for instance, um, when, whenever there's a movement of the God and the Holy Spirit, within 40 years of that movement, that movement will either be a denomination that will then have the, the gearing and everything in place to keep it going for maybe another 100 years, or it will just fizzle and fall apart within 40 years. Um, we, we say similar things, like if you send a new pastor to a church, an existing church, within five years, um, that body is either together and growing and working together by the power of the Holy Spirit, or someone has kicked out the pastor or the pastor has kicked out a bunch of people. There's usually some falling out or something, or if it truly is of God and they're all together, then five years later, it looks beautiful and it's thriving and functioning. And so there's these little things that we observe about the church and the body of Christ, where we see that somehow the work of man and the work of the flesh is being mixed into what God is doing. And if it wasn't for the parable of the tares, we might be really uh, hard pressed to know what to do with this. But God is like, no. Um, and there's that other verse in Corinthians where it says, there must needs be divisions among you in order to show who is approved. And so what all of that means and what I take as I read, read through Exodus this week several different times and meditated on it and listened to it and, and kept going back to it, it just simply means this, is in Exodus there was a whole host of people, a bloodline of Abraham, 
And God was trying to talk to all of them saying, I want you all together in unity and uniformity to walk with me, to keep my commandments, to keep my covenants, and I'm going to use you. But in Christ, we have the different bloodline with the bloodline of Jesus Christ. And he is calling to all the people of all the world and saying, who will listen to me? Who will hear my voice? Who will draw near? Who will keep covenant with me? And what is keeping covenant? It's, it's, it's Christ. Christ is our covenant. And so as we draw close to him and as we're walking in the spirit, suddenly it's not one people group. It's all the peoples of the earth, the church of the firstborn, everyone who's responded to Christ. And so that means that you can be in a group of believers who might culturally be believers and you might be one of the few in the midst of that cultural group of believers who suddenly says, you know what? I think I hear the voice of God and he's calling me closer to him. And as you go closer, some of the people around you might say, look, we are under grace, not under law. You don't have to push in. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. But you say, but I'm, I'm hearing the voice of God and I want to know him. And you're, given, you're hearing the invitation that has been going around since the beginning of time when the creator created us to know him and to be known by him. He wants us to know him. That is his purpose. And so I don't want to make the mistake of going, whoa, that's scary. I might die. I'm going to stand afar off and send someone else to go talk on my behalf. I want to press in and stand where my spot is. So if God is saying, Joseph, you come up in the mountain, I want to go up in the mountain. If he's saying, come this close, but no farther at the sound of the trumpet, I'm coming this close, but no farther. And so that, that Psalm where it says, when you said, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, I will seek. That's what I want our heart to be. And so we we have a, a gathering here. We have multiple gatherings of the body of Christ throughout Denver in the Front Range area and around the world. And there is not a single person anywhere that God is saying, this is the person that's going to tell all the rest of my children how they're supposed to live. God doesn't want a Moses that comes into Sinai and everyone else stays down. He wants a whole host of believers pressing in and knowing him and hearing his voice. And there will be people that will come along and tell you, well, the way to do that is um, you've got to keep the law. Um, but, you know, if you'll read Acts 15 and Galatians, you'll understand what God has done with the law and how it applies to you. It, there will be people who will come in and say, well, there's only one way to truly experience God, um, and you're going to have to speak in tongues. And again, you can go and read Corinthians and several other, like, and you can understand that there is something that God wants that is bigger than this. There is not one gift of the Spirit that is more important than all the others. What is really important is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself living within us. And we need to press in. We need to seek his face. We need to hear what he's saying. We need to follow that. But I know that for myself, not understanding even fully why the children of Israel stood afar off. I mean, yes, it was scary, but I know that they did. They stood afar off and they kind of said, Moses, you go. I do the same thing. I, you know, and, and there is a, in the stories of the Reformation, um, and I'm trying to remember who made this observation for us. And I'm not actually sure who made the observation, but it's somewhere in the process in the last 10 years, this was an observation that someone made. 
And it had to do with Martin Luther being in the monastery. And so for the common people, as they went about their daily work down in the village and they walked by and they would look up over there and they would see the monastery walls and they might even hear the, the singing of the monks in there, you know, throughout the day, they could hear the, 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 the chanting of the monks. And as they went by, they would say, you know, I'm so glad that we have people in our land who are seeking the Lord. And then they went back doing whatever they were doing. But when Martin Luther stepped outside the monastery walls and said, this is not the way, we're all supposed to actually follow Christ and know him and read his word. Suddenly, you, it was no longer enough to look over there and be like, I'm so glad we've got the holy men of God in our, you know, here outside of our town. Now we have to do something. We are responsible. And that was part of how flammable things were with the Reformation because it became a personal responsibility where I had to respond to God. And so this was repeated. So if you think about my, my ancestors and then we became the Amish. And so people drive through Amish country and they literally think, like I just met someone this week who is, was convinced that the Amish have a better way of doing things and they know how to do church and they know all these things. Had no idea about who they really were, but it's just seen them from the outside. And so it's the same thing that we did with the monasteries we do with someone like the Amish. I'm so glad that we have the people of God in America who are praying for us and taking care of us. And God says, I, I don't have a visible people in that way. The church of the firstborn is everywhere, and the invitation is for you to be part of that church, that fellowship. Don't look and say, I'm so glad we have Moses. I'm so glad we have the monks. I'm so glad we have the Amish. I'm so glad we have someone somewhere praying 24-7. I'm so glad we have this or that or the other church or organization or people in my community because as long as they live here, God won't judge. No, don't go there. Say, there is a voice calling me from Sinai. And he says, if you will come and hear me. And what is the covenant of Jesus Christ? That he will dwell within us. He will take out our hearts of stone. He will give us a new heart. And he will overwhelm us with himself. And the old things will pass away. and Behold, all things will become new. This is the invitation that echoes from Sinai to us today. It's not enough to know of someone. We actually must know the Lord ourselves. And it is possible to assent to God to a certain distance and say, I will serve you from here, but not want to go the rest of the way. And that's my concern with myself, is is there a place where I'm saying, um, Lord, I feel quite comfortable and safe right here, but I don't want to go any closer because that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want that either. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us your covenant through Jesus Christ. Thank you that you, while we were afar off in dark places, you made us near through Jesus Christ and you called us to follow you, to call us to, to be near you, to be known by you. And Lord, there's coming a day when we will stand before you and you give us the opportunity. And Lord, what we want to, know, what we want to hear on that day is that you knew us. We don't want to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. Lord, we want to know you, and we want you to know us. And so we know that you created us for this. We know that you sent Jesus Christ for this. And so we are yours. We belong to you. But I just ask for each of us that as the noise of the world around us, as the busyness of our own ambitions and callings, Lord, that none of this would stand in the way, but that we would press in to know you, to walk with you, 
that we would not run afar off and send someone else to hear from you, but that we would press in and say, Lord, I want to know you. That we'd be like Joshua on our face before you, not even understanding, but just knowing that I want to be where the spirit of the Lord is. And Father, you said you'd dwell in us, and so we, we want that. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your provision. And thank you for Jesus Christ and for this mighty church of the firstborn that is all around the world right now. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.